What up, HyperChange? Welcome to HyperChat number 11. Today, we're doing a deep dive on Snapchat and the bull thesis. Really excited to have a guest, Turner Novak, um, on the podcast. Turner, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's exciting. Yeah. So just a little background, Turner is someone that I've been talking to basically, I think just on the internet for the past year or two through HyperChange, really impressed with your Twitter feed, understanding of Snapchat, some of the best conversations I've ever had about, you know, Snapchat's business and helping me understand it, um, have been with Turner and just following your tweets about where this was going because for the past year the snapchat ipo was really hot kind of broke down instagram copied them now they've totally bounced back and you're probably one of the only people along with like ben bash on twitter who has just nailed this understanding of what's been happening and was way ahead of the curve so i i actually am personally super bullish on snapchat now and and very excited about what they could be doing and so i thought this would be great timing to have you on the podcast and sort of get your thoughts and and do a deep dive um, so, but before we get into that, I wanted to ask you briefly, if you could tell us, you know, where you're based and, uh, what you do every day for a living. Yeah. So where I'm based, I'm in Ann Arbor, Michigan, uh, hence the video, not in person. And, uh, I work at a four capital. We are an early stage venture capital firm and we invest in uh, the pre-seed stage. That's kind of our bread and butter. And what pre-seed means is it's basically the first institutional capital that a startup raises. Uh, so maybe you've raised some money from friends and family, or you have a couple angel investors, uh, or you have nothing yet. Uh, where we really come in, we're the first institutional investors that come in and dig in and uh, kind of help you take the company to the next level and get ready to really go on and do big things. So what we, what we focus on is uh, really good products, uh, because I'm sure like all the hyper change audience knows, uh, companies that are very big and established. They have a lot of economies of scale. They have huge distribution advantages. So really the best way a startup can compete is just nailing the product and having a product that's 10 or hundred times better than the incumbent. So that's what we look for uh, and look for uh, founders and founding teams that are just really sharp product thinkers. Uh, and you can tell they, they have just a command of the market and the problems that customers and consumers are dealing with. Really cool. Uh, so you so, spend your whole day basically meeting with, looking at startups, analyzing them uh, with founders. Is there a particularly particular sector? Like, are you guys doing consumer-facing apps, enterprise apps? Any any focus? Yeah, our biggest focus is just software-enabled companies. Uh, but anything where software can impact, uh, you know, the the business results. So uh, really, any venture-backable company. In order to take venture capital, you have to be able to scale pretty quickly uh, and software lets you do that and, and get really high margins. It's kind of the, the way venture works. Uh, so yeah, we, it's really software enabled. So we have a couple investments that are in media, a couple investments that are in kind of the direct to consumer space and the retail space, some that are in specifically enterprise, some that are in like consumer social. So it's kind of all over the place. Uh, the only thing we really don't do is biotech. So like drug discovery, that kind of stuff. Uh, we maybe we do software that helps with that, but we don't actually do like drug development. That's really the only thing that we don't do is is heavy biotech. Gotcha. Really cool. So, all right, let's just get into the meat of the episode: Snapchat. So, you clearly spend a lot of time thinking about Snapchat, analyzing it. So, maybe to just start, like, why Snapchat? What interests you about it? You know, do you love the product? You know, just what is it? Yeah, for me, I think that Snapchat is an incredible product from a 
uh, consumer standpoint, but also from a like a business standpoint. So just kind of stepping back and thinking about the way that Snapchat works uh, and kind of when you think about social products, you want to get, you know, there's a lot of talk about some of the dark sides of this. A lot of things about like engagement, dating, uh, mental health issues where you're pulling people in. But Snapchat in general, when you use the product, uh, it's camera first. So that's a lot different from Instagram and Facebook and Twitter where it's, it's feed first. Mm. So those are their broadcast tools. They're for consuming. Like when you open Instagram, when you go to Instagram stories, I mean, that's probably the feed or Instagram stories are really the two reasons you'd open Instagram and you're just going to sit back and consume. Uh, you know, maybe your favorite influencers on there, your friends are posting funny things, et cetera. There's a lot of things you can do. Uh, Snapchat opens to the camera. So it empowers really the, just the average person to create their own content. And a lot of times it's just sharing with their friends. Uh, so there's a couple of ways to unpack that. So uh, thinking in terms of on the, uh, just the sharing with friends side, in the self-expression side, it reduces a lot of the, uh, I guess like the complexities of texting somebody and kind of lets you say things more freely. Like if, if we were to have this conversation over Twitter DMs or emails, it's so, so difficult to like type all this out, whatever. But if you're sending someone a picture or a video, there's, it's, it's like a picture says a thousand words. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you're hanging out at the beach with your friends, you take a quick, quick picture like come hang out it tells you exactly what you want your friend to see whereas if you're texting like hey we're at the beach it's me and galley his dog's here uh my <laughs> wife and my daughter are here like we, we we've got some great food like the waves are good you can tell all that just a picture or just a snap or a video so if, if you're gonna send that to someone it just makes the communication barriers there's so much so much less friction in just communicating something with someone uh and then in terms of kind of from thinking about it through on the business and the product side when you're on Instagram and you are watching a story, you, you probably were pulled in from, you just had a desire, you were bored and you went to Instagram and you know, you, you know, there's good stuff on Instagram, you know, people are posting things, you know, your favorite celebrity or, or that hyper change is posting killer content on Instagram that you want to <laughs> log on and watch. Uh, and that's the reason you go to Instagram on Snapchat, uh, going back to the camera feature. So somebody's going to take a picture or a video, and then there, there's content that, that's been created and they're going to send it to someone. So I'm going to send it to you and I'm going to send it to probably five or 10 other people. And then those five or 10 other people are going to get a notification that someone sent them something. Most of them are probably going to open the app and look at it. So from a product standpoint, that's a DAU, that's a daily active user right there. Most of the people who get sent the sample probably open it that day, maybe a, a couple of days later, uh, so they're going to open it. And then if you liked it or something triggered in your mind, like you might send something too, and you might send it to five other people. And those five other people I sent it to almost might do the same thing. So from kind of a growth standpoint and kind of a, uh, just like a, uh, like a business case, there's a lot to be said there that, you know, the, the way that Snapchat works is it's first off fundamentally different from the broadcast models where it's more of like a one-to-many where Snapchat's a one-to-one. Uh, but then too, I mean, I think that's kind of why that reason right there, that all these different people are sending notifications to each other, getting them to open the app. That's kind of why it survived the Instagram onslaught. Yeah. Uh, because I mean, I think if you, if you gauged the, if you compared the general perception of how Snapchat was doing with the numbers they were putting out, 
they were completely separate, separate from each other. Like the consensus was Snapchat is dead. No one uses it. You know, the Kylie Jenner tweet absolutely destroyed the stock over the course but, of But like to push back, months. like I want, I'm going to show an overlay, overlay of DAU growth when Instagram yes. stories launches, like, you know, it didn't kill snap, but there's a clear cliff in the DAU growth that did, you know, so yeah. it's, I think the numbers did support that to a little bit. I'm just playing well, devil's advocate. I think that, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think the reason that it didn't fall off of a cliff, like most social products do, because a lot of the case with all True. these social products, especially with snap, I mean, when it was going public, it was a fad, you know, kids are going to switch to the next biggest thing. All these different arguments you make, they don't have money to spend. You know, there's a, probably like 10 really good arguments on why Snapchat is a terrible product. Uh, but the reason that it's, it still survived was because of that. Like it's ingrained in the life of pretty much every Gen Z in the US. If you really dig down and unpack the numbers, basically every teen, every person under a certain age, and I don't really know what the number is, maybe it's 24 or so, like they all use Snapchat very consistently and a large portion of them just use it for everything. Yeah, and you're, all and you're hitting the nail on the head on something I, I kind of want to expand on, which is, you know, why does Wall Street not get this? And I think this is a bigger example that happens a lot in financial markets, which is if it's a product that all these old, you know, banker dudes don't get or don't use, like they're just going to be way behind, you know, be the customer. The best way to know the product and figure out the trajectory of where it's going or improving is to be a customer. All the customers That's of Snapchat are... 15 and 20 years old, you know, they're not on CNBC talking about it. And so they don't know what an income statement is. They don't know what cash flow means. They don't totally. know what a DAU, like a daily active user is. But yet they have the best insight onto where Snap is going and the most valuable analysis on the company, which is so interesting. <laughs> but so I think, uh, you know, but kind of diving into this, you know, that's one thing that I didn't get. Like a bunch of my friends stopped using Snapchat during this kind of Instagram onslaught. I still use Instagram. I guess I'm actually kind of back to using Snap a little bit. But really, the real big I remember when we talked about this a couple of months ago or a couple of years ago, you were in the boat like, yeah, I don't really use it. None of my friends yeah. use it. And I was done. And none of my friends, I will still say like, when I check Snap, there's like four or five stories posted for my friends versus it used to be like 30. So still lower, but not totally zero. But, you know, screw me. I'm old. I'm washed up. And you probably yeah. are too. I'm in 28 now. Era, right. You know, we're grandpas here talking about Snapchat. But yeah. the user growth was incredible. They, you know, that's what really draw me back to the stories. Like I'm looking at the numbers here and they bounce back 203 million DAUs, record growth, biggest sequential net ad in, in years. Since and, Instagram stories launched. Yeah, exactly. And so to me, I'm like, wow, like, so what is driving this resurgence of Snapchat? Um, and, and do you have any insight into that trend? Because that's huge seeing that reverse. Yeah, I think really the, the obvious answer is the kind of viral, excuse me, gender and baby swap lenses that they had in Q2. A lot of people saw those. I think they announced in the official earnings call, was it 200 million people used them? So there's 203 million daily active users, which is, um, by the way, on Snapchat, they measure their daily active users as the, total, the average daily user throughout the whole quarter. So the 90 days, 92 days in a quarter, whatever. So let's say there's, extreme example, let's say there's 100 on half the days and there's 150 users on the other half. DAUs would be 125 in the middle, the average of the the whole quarter facebook and twitter and i can't remember what pinterest does they do it over the last month 
of the quarter. So Facebook could be, they could be doing terrible in April and May. And then in June, whatever, their numbers are really good. You'll only see the June numbers when they report. It's over those last 30 days, that last month in the quarter. Snap's over the whole quarter. So yeah, Snap pioneered um, the DAU metric, actually disclosing that. None of these other social networks were disclosing DAUs. Snap had the balls to do oh. it. And now Twitter's actually copying them with the MDAU metric. The and I always give Snap a lot yeah. of props for that. Is I was like, it takes... I'm impressed that you guys are willing to disclose this DAU unit just up front. And anyway, I don't want to interrupt, but I just think they, they, they were a pioneer in that disclosure. Yeah. I mean, it's huge for them. And it really shows like the people that use it. Sure. They don't have 2.7 billion monthly users, whatever the number of Facebook is like their whole family of users. And we, I, I can dive into that and, and pick that apart later on. But yeah, I mean, they really have, you know, a hundred million people in the U S are using it very frequently. And I think it's 83 million, I think is in North America that use it every day now on average. Uh, so anyways, going back to the, the recent resurgence in user growth that we were talking about a couple minutes ago, seven back. Uh, so yeah, I think that the, the AR filters, the face swap, the gender swap, that was the kind of the easy answer to the question. But really when you really step back and look at what they've been doing over the last two years. And even before they went public, I think Evan Spiegel, the CEO had like commented on Reddit threads and Android about fixing the Android app, which was terrible. Like the app just crashes and the camera doesn't work very well. Like it's glitchy. Uh, they've been working on fixing that for two to three years. They basically rebuilt the whole thing. And this kind of gets into another question that maybe you're going to ask, maybe you weren't, but I think Snapchat's uh, whole pace of innovation was slowed because they couldn't build on the Android app because the Android app, they just kind of left for dead. It was, you know, they were still adding features to it, but just none of it worked very well. So if they added uh, those crazy AR filters, they actually use like deep machine learning and kind of like a neural network. No idea how that works, but that's what they said on the conference call. So we're going to go with it uh, to do the face swap. And that's why it worked so well and why people were blown away from it. They couldn't do that. I'm assuming on the old Android app, they could only wow. do it on the new one. So rolling out that new redesign like that took them years, it took them a long time to do it. But now that they have this, the Android app is basically like the iOS app. I think that I've read stuff that on the performance side, Android's still not quite as good, but it's a lot better than it was. So it's going to let Snap build on basically just a whole new infrastructure that's way more sound. It's kind of like trying to build up a skyscraper on sand versus concrete. Like yeah. you're trying to build on sand, like everything will keep kind of falling apart and like you won't be able to grow. And that's why all my friends who use Android, they stopped using Snapchat over the last couple of years. Uh, and, wow. and, and I'm 28, this is when I was, you know, 25, 26, 27. And you kind of noticed it and they all loved the, the crazy gender swap. Every, I mean, everybody did. So <laughs> stepping back, back again, even further back, cause we really got deep on this, but so there was on the uh, earnings call, they said that 200 million people use that filter, the, the, the uh, viral AR filters. So they have 203 million daily users. So that goes to show that I, it, there's probably not quite overlap on that, but really they reached a ton of people who maybe weren't necessarily using Snapchat anymore and brought them back in. Uh, and okay. I think on the earnings call, they estimated something like seven and nine million of the DAUs of those 13 were related to getting sucked in due to the AR filter. And I, I say sucked in, I just mean that in terms of kind of that loop that we talked about where you see a snap and you're like, oh, this is great. 
I'm going to send this funny, I'm a baby. Look at this. Or like, I'm, I'm a, I look like uh, the female version of me. Like I'm, I'm, a, I'm long hair and like, I, I look beautiful, but I have a beard on that you can kind of see or, or, you know, and you send that to someone else. So that's kind of how all these different users get into the, the sort of the snap ecosystem. <laughs> and I, I, I'm not even going to lie. Like I did the, like I did turn myself into a girl and I tweeted it because yeah. I thought it was going to be fun. <laughs> and then like this person, like eat, like two people instantly replied and they're like, delete it, delete it. And I just deleted it. So I was so embarrassed. <laughs> But <laughs> yeah, maybe, and then I was thinking like, man, everyone's sharing on Instagram, this snap filter, like yeah. that's another thing. I, I, this is a joke. It's actually drove my performance and it drove awareness of the app. It's not even about people checking the app. It's about me scrolling through my feed, seeing Joe Rogan post this picture on Instagram. And you see eight people do it. You see Joe Rogan, you see yeah. like Oprah does it. You see like Rob Gronkowski does it. And you're like, oh, this is cool. This is kind of, it's like the whole influencer culture like you see people that you care about and you think that they're smart or you you think they're funny you see them doing something you want to do it too and then as as you do it some of your friends do it and there's just kind of a critical mass of all these people posting or doing this activity and that kind of gets into different forms of advertising and and yeah and, uh, and word of mouth offline growth all that kind of stuff and one thing you said that's really interesting is this this notion that when you check snapchat you're sort of leaving the app happier in a more positive way versus Instagram and Facebook, it's more likes based culture and you're going to consume content versus create content. And I think as much as Snapchat gets lumped in with Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, in many ways, there's a key ethos differentiator of it's not about likes, it's about connecting with real friends. Like I think their whole new advertising campaign is like hashtag real friends. And so uh, I think we're at this sort of crossroads where, like you said, there's people are realizing the adverse health effects of social media, um, of likes, of depression, of FOMO, you know, it's, it's sort of like this toxic thing. And I, and I think Snapchat goes totally against that. And that's why I think the pendulum could swing really strongly to a, snap, a, a social environment with Snapchat's ethos versus this likes Instagram world. And I think yeah. I think there's something to unpack there that Snap is really taking the stubborn hard road and not done likes or whatever. But in the long run, I think that's going to really, that this is becoming their sort of key differentiator in some ways. Yeah, there, there's a lot to unpack in that comment. So I think really the biggest thing is, like you said, Facebook is really pivoting all its properties to be more like Snapchat. Facebook wants to be Snapchat. Like Snapchat has the better business model. Really, and there, I can, I mean, that's a very bold thing to say, but. Because stories Facebook, ads are better than feed ads in short? I think the or? ad, well, there's a lot of different things. Like you talked about uh, in terms of mental health, um, like the way you feel about things, there's a, you could maybe think of it that way. Um, but, privacy but you stuff. said the business model of Snap is better. Why is that? Yeah, the business model. So the, so kind of tying in those growth loops where you're using the camera and you're, getting other people into the ecosystem with content creation. It's just a whole different format of uh, consuming a social product or in participating with a social product um, that I think is, is just overall in terms of uh, having a, reaching a large audience and having a, a large network of people messaging each other back and forth. I just think it works a little better and it's more sustainable. Um, so for example, I mean, we've seen the rise of TikTok. TikTok came out of nowhere. They're, they're just burning they're burning billions of dollars on acquiring users. I, I don't know if it's going to work. I think they're kind of trying to become the next YouTube, like a mobile first version of YouTube. Uh, 
But when you think of it, TikTok is basically what a lot of people use Instagram and Facebook for. They just sit there and they just kind of consume things. TikTok's kind of like Vine. Really. And I think that's probably the best way to think. It's like a, uh, a Vine that is a lot bigger and probably going to be sustainable just because they're going to figure they're going to have a larger base to attract advertisers and they're going to be able to to bring in revenue in that way uh, so in terms of business models so i mean facebook is trying to get rid of all these public feeds they're trying to push people into groups they're trying to push people into messaging because it's mm. it's harder to <laughs> to track the uh, effects that they have publicly on all these different things that they're getting slammed for and uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of different criticisms you could have on, on the, the public, uh, issues that Facebook has brought forward and all these different, um, you know, fake news, that, that whole issue and all the discussion around that topic, if that would have all happened in private groups and in messages, instead of in a public feed, there wouldn't be as much public, uh, awareness of it really. And I think that that's part of the reason why Facebook wants to bring everything in. But at the same time, uh, kind of thinking about growth loop. So if you post something to a feed, let's say I'm on Facebook, I post something to my feed. The only people that are going to see it are the people who open up Facebook and the algorithm decides they should see it. Or maybe some people have notifications on for my posts. If I'm in a group chat or I'm in a message with people, if I'm in a group chat of 20 people and I post something in the group chat, everyone gets a notification unless they turned off notifications for the chat. But I think, in a lot of cases, people still have notifications on. And like if, if you send somebody a one-on-one -on -one message, they're going to get it. They're going to open it. The numbers look good from an advertising perspective. You're keeping your DAUs up. I mean, then both Facebook and, and Snap, they're publicly traded companies. They need to have those numbers. Uh, they're, they're playing Wall Street's games. They, they have to keep those numbers up. I mean, you saw what happened to Snap when they didn't have the daily users growing at the same rate. They got absolutely crushed. I think the stock was down low point when it was at like five dollars it was down like 75 percent from the high mm -hmm. and uh so you can kind of see something like that could happen to facebook if something like tiktok just creates a better broadcast model and facebook loses just the general i'm bored i'm going to open up instagram i'm going to open up facebook because they don't quite have the same kind of growth loops baked into the product that a camera first sending a message to all these different people uh, like what that kind of model has uh, and the Instagram has DMs. Uh, and I think this is probably isn't for everyone, but I think in general, DMs are more feed sharing. So you see a funny meme. And I think oh, I, I saw a stat. Yeah. yeah, I saw a stat. Uh, something like memes are shared eight times more in DMs on Instagram than any other piece of content, which that was way higher than what I thought. Like, that's insane. And like, that's what's driving the, the messaging growth on Instagram and what's driving notifications that pull people into the app. Uh, and so I think that that kind of thinking in that mindset is kind of how Facebook's linking in terms of switching to messaging, getting things out of public and increasing the kind of like the growth loops that are baked into the app. Hmm. Uh, and then I think there's a whole nother aspect there where when you think of uh, on, on showing an ad, when you think of Facebook, Instagram, you're scrolling through the Facebook feed. There's an ad that takes up, you know, this much of the screen or whatever. It's and there's a, there's a bunch of white space everywhere. If you are on Snapchat or you're on TikTok or you're watching an Instagram story, the ad is full screen, uh, and then eventually they're going to make it so you can't skip the ad. So 
when you are using, uh, when you're using like a Facebook feed, I don't think there's a way you can like freeze the feed. Like people would get very upset if you're scrolling the Instagram feed and it freezes the feed, but eventually they're going to do unskippable ads in stories. It's inevitable. Snapchat already did it. Facebook's going to do it too. Uh, where it guarantees that you see the ad. So, and that maybe they'll do like a three second, you know, you have to watch it for at least three seconds, at least six seconds. The efficiency and the ROI for advertisers is going to be higher when you have an ad that takes up the whole real estate on your phone versus basically Facebook ads. They're basically like, like a, a banner ad that's just in your feed. They don't necessarily play with sound. They actually recommend advertisers to use captions in their videos because most people don't listen with sound, with sound on. Uh, so having everybody, all content consumed with full screen sound, that kind of stuff, like that is way more uh, effective from an advertising perspective and you can get higher prices. Uh, on the same, at the same standpoint, they're kind of thinking about the camera. So uh, one of the things that I really have always, I guess, admired and, and really been very uh, uh, impressed with the way that Snap worked and really the way that the management team kind of built the product was they, they basically invented two new forms of ads. They invented the full screen mobile ad that they, maybe they didn't invent that, but they made it widely adopted by consumers. Like who would have thought that when smartphones first came out, who would have thought that if you said, in 10 years, consumers will be willing to sit through and watch a full screen ad on their phone. Like that kind of seems, it seems like a very uh, intrusive on the experience, but Snapchat was able to do it. They created stories. You send a snap to your friends, our whole, uh, the phenomenon we talked about where you're sending things to your friends, plus you just latch on my story at the top. You also send it to your story. So all mm -hmm. your friends can see it in the story section and you, you're threading these videos together or these pictures together, and then there's you know 20 people on your friends list that are doing the same thing. You're gonna watch all of them. Snap's able to stick some ads in between them. Instagram's doing the same thing. Uh, so it's really it's kind of phenomenal that they were able to pull that off. It's similar to how Facebook was able to like stick ads in the middle of a feed. Like who would have yeah. thought back in I don't know, let's say like 2004 when Facebook or when they first introduced the news feed, you're like, oh yeah, people are gonna be willing to just look at ads in between all their friends content versus being on the sidebars. Like you probably didn't think they could have pulled that off, but they did. Uh, and so thinking, taking that back to the camera, Snap is able to get people to play and interact with these animated ads, like with these augmented reality ads that they, you know, let's say there's like, it's like Subway, like you're wearing like a, a Subway worker hat, like with a little Subway logo and you're like, there's like a sub that like comes and you try to eat it. Like it's kind of yeah. funny and it's an ad for Subway and people, play with it and I think the average play time on their sponsored lenses is 10 seconds uh wow. so think about think about when an ad comes up on Instagram stories what do you probably do or an ad in the, the Instagram feed you probably just tap past it or scroll past it but with these augmented reality ads like most of them are fun and you you play with them you want to see what it is so you're like interacting with these ads and it's almost it sounds very weird to say but it's kind of like you're having an experience with the brand like I remember one of the big yeah, totally. Snapchat ads from a couple of years ago, it was, you got a Gatorade uh, jug dumped on your head. Like they do it after football games when they win, they dump it on the coach's head. You could do that on yourself. And I mean, I, I forget the numbers. It had something like 200 million people played with it or they had like 
20 billion views of that ad or something like some insane number. And it's like, wow. And people will play with the ad. So they'll dump Gatorade on their head and then they'll send it to their friends. Like, Hey, watch this ad. I'm in this ad. Uh, so it's kind of, it's a crazy phenomenon and Snapchat kind of invented They're that. They're sharing behavior. ads. Yeah. They, I don't think there's any other product. Maybe there's something interesting, like an ad for some, like, like a cool watch in your Instagram feed and you'll like send it to your DM, significant yeah. other, like, Hey, I want this for my birthday or something, whatever. But you're not going to be like, Hey, check out, I'm getting Gatorade dumped on my head. Like, <laughs> this is so funny. Like, or like, look at this insane Taco Bell ad. My head is a taco and you send it to all your friends. Cause it's hilarious. And everybody sees this ad of if you you're endorsing Taco Bell, you're basically telling your friends that, you know, I approve of this ad and, and I want you to see it. And you'll, they'll probably play with it too when they yeah, see it. It's, so it's a, it, it's a whole new category of ad that didn't exist before. Uh, and we can maybe talk about this in a little bit, but it just sets them up for the next stage of computing that when everything escapes our phones, who knows when that happens, we're using glasses. Uh, it's probably further away than people think it is. Uh, Cause I don't think the technology is really there yet, but it, it's building an ecosystem of augmented reality experiences, computing apps, really. That's how I think of AR lenses. I think of them as augmented reality apps, kind of the first leg of that. And it's really you're, building you're it all. all the work for me. This is exactly what I wanted to say <laughs> is the lenses here is like, so what you're talking about is lenses. And this is something Snap's been touting as a huge, there was more lenses created in Q2 2019 than all of 2018. And yep. so can you break down what this lens is? That is a lens, right? When I like, when I do a swipe like this and then something in the pops camera. up. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So it's, yeah. So the, the way I think about the Snapchat camera, if you want to think of it, I think it's really easy to understand. We kind of talked about it from the consumer standpoint. It's a way to play, show self-expression. They always have these different lenses and they actually have a, they have a lens store now where you can, or an, a lens I think they call it lens store. You can't actually buy anything yet. Maybe that's the lens explorer. That's the word where it's kind of like a, you, you tap a little thing in the corner and it brings up something, something that looks like the app store. Like you're on the iOS app store and you're like picking an app to download. You're basically picking a lens to play with. There's tons of different things. Turn your hair blue, become an alien. There's also some that are upward facing like 3d. They call them 3d world lenses. So something like there's a, like the dancing hot dog is a perfect example of oh, a world yeah. lens. And there's tons of, I mean, there's thousands. I think there's something like 400,000 or 500,000 that have been submitted and created so far that are available for people to use. Obviously there's a, there's a long tail of them that probably nobody sees, but there's, I mean, they, they post numbers that, you know, there's been like 35 billion plays with their AR lenses in their app store last quarter. It was something like that. Then that number yeah. might be wrong. So, so yeah, what, you know, lenses were scratching on the surface of, of the real future of, of Snapchat here, which is augmented yeah. reality, our interaction with the digital world, sort of this limbic resonance theory that Elon Musk has. That's like what you were saying, a picture, a snap is worth a thousand text messages. You know, we're pushing that boundary of our interaction with the digital and real world to communicate faster with each other. And so Snapchat at its core is that fabric layer between the digital and the real world. And if I think about a business that could get really big, it's the digital fabric between ourselves, you know, and the internet. And so lenses appears to be scratching the surface of this much bigger window and opportunity that Snapchat's building 
Um, so I'm kind of curious how you could, you know, how does lenses evolve? How does this tie into what they're doing with the spectacles? Yeah, there's definitely a lot to unpack. I think spectacles kind of starting there. I think they're really still just testing. I, I don't think we should expect the current iterations of spectacles to do very well, like be something that sells millions of units. I think that's a little bit unrealistic because, excuse me, I think the capabilities aren't quite there yet. And I think that the technology to fit it all into uh, fashionable glasses that you wear, it's just not there. Yeah. I think, I think you could do it if it's just a massive headset. I mean, you've seen like HoloLens, Magic Leap, it's, it's big. And I don't think that the end product is good enough yet. And then also they just can't fit it into like, I mean, you really want to get to the point where it's just really thin. They're just glasses that you put on. I think that's the end state that everybody knows we'll get to eventually. But maybe we get to like, like that far off, you know, like the new snap ones, they do look pretty cool and like they work. You know? Yeah, but they're, they're not, I don't think they're quite good enough to say, hey, this is the next iPhone. I think you could totally, maybe say totally. they want to be the next iPhone in four or five iterations. I kind of think of it, I kind of think of their spectacle strategy very similar to what, and really snap strategy as a whole, similar to what Apple did to create the iPhone. They didn't go, hey, here's the iPhone. We're just making this up. We have nothing that exists yet, but everybody buy our iPhone. They really started with the iPod and with iTunes. So the iPod was what got people used to listening and da downloading music, using music on their phone, on like a device that they could store, you know, thousands of songs on. That was kind of incredible when it first came out. Uh, at the same time, it looked like a lot of the other MP3 players, easy to copy. And like any of the other MP3 players come on and say, okay, we'll just give you, you know, a gig of storage or 16 gigs of storage and you can store a thousand songs. Uh, but uh, Apple also had kind of the iTunes interface where you'd go in and you'd purchase songs, you'd create your playlists, et cetera. Really iTunes was the early days of the app store. It kind of got people used to interacting with um, that layer and having, having a commercial side to the business, like a marketplace side of the business where, where there's developers, not necessarily developers yet, but they were labels and, and, uh, I think eventually they had, you could buy videos and stuff like that. Yeah. It They're kind of built all digital that digital content. It's a marketplace for digital content or digital assets, which is, yep. you know. And then they had it to a point where they had that ecosystem up and running. And then when they introduced the iPhone, most people who got an iPhone probably had an iPod. So they had the music things already set up and established. They had a store where you could buy, buy music, you could buy videos. Uh, and they had, I guess, kind of the respect and the trust of people in the community to know that what they were doing was going to work, be sustainable. Apple was going to fall through on what they were saying. Uh, and it really made it possible for Apple to launch the iPhone, just laying the seeds of the iPod and getting people used to that behavior. And really, they made the iPod cool. Uh, I remember, I think I was in seventh grade or eighth grade when it first came out. And I just remember all the kids who had the white headphones that hung down like you knew they were cool i mean it's kind of like with the airpods phenomenon now you when people wear airpods you know they have money like you know they could afford their airpods it's kind of a status thing especially with teens uh and that's kind of what apple did and i no i'm laughing because i feel like such an amateur because i'm still walking around with my cord headphones here in the <laughs> east village in new york city it's like dude it's such a bad look like i'm out here fumbling with my cord like when I get out of the coffee shop and like, I'm just like, Oh my God, I hope nobody's seeing this. Like, 
Yeah, no, no worries. Actually, the ultimate status involves having multiple AirPods where, because these are going to die on me eventually. I'm going to have to charge them and I won't have AirPods. I need to have two. So then I'll always wow. have AirPods in. So that's the next level. Uh, <laughs> so some people might give you heat. Okay, so we're talking about iPod, iTunes. How, where does this analogy tie into this, what Snapchat's doing with lenses and, and, and hardware? Yeah, so it's basically uh, Snap is just testing and kind of seeing what works, building the ecosystem now. They have 203 million daily active users. Uh, and really, what I really look at is just North America and maybe Europe a little bit too. Um, we can kind of talk about this a little bit later, but most of Facebook's users come from outside of markets where they can actually generate ad revenue. Most of their ad revenue comes from places like the US, Canada, the UK, France, Germany, uh, maybe Australia, Japan, South Korea. Those are a lot of countries, but they're a very small segment of all the total addressable people with internet that can't support an advertising driven business model. Uh, to, to push back on that, that's why I think people don't get Snapchat because this is the same trend of lagging monetization of attention. Attention will be ahead of monetization of that attention. And so oh, yeah. I think getting attention in these forward markets is very smart, even if it doesn't make economic sense yet. And that is, I think, essentially my bull case on Snapchat is this is an asset with 203 million people checking it every day. That's a shitload of attention. And we just haven't seen the monetization catch up to that attention. So, oh yeah, yeah. So, so jumping back into that, Facebook has a ton of users all over the world. They have a lot in the developed markets, the places where you can make money today on an advertising model. Snapchat has a similar size user base to Instagram and all these different markets. If you actually unpack, if you don't look at the aggregate, I don't know what Instagram's number is. They, maybe, it's, maybe it's a billion now. Uh, but if you actually look at the US, you look at places like Germany, like the UK, like France, you look at Canada, those are really the big five. If you actually compare the size of Snapchat and Instagram, it's pretty similar, the number of users that they have. And that's where all the money is going to be made in advertising, probably in commerce too, uh, and at least the margins. You can, you can probably make a huge business serving the you know, billions of people that are in places like Africa, India, uh, but you need more users. The margins are going to be slimmer because it, maybe it's the same uh, price, or the same cost on the infrastructure side. But if you can charge someone in the U.S. 10 times more, that's just pure cash flow that you just get to reinvest in the business, give to shareholders, et cetera. Uh, so when you look at uh, Facebook's, if you break down all Facebook's numbers, most of their cash flow comes from the U.S. The average revenue per user, the ARPU in North America is like 10 times higher than the rest of the world, yeah. which includes places like uh, Bangladesh, uh, all the places in Africa. If you look at kind of like GDP, or sorry, income per capita, people have a lot less disposable income there to spend on buying things from ads that they see in their Facebook feed. And it, Snapchat has, uh, I think an opportunity to do basically the same type of thing where they get similar numbers on an ARPU basis that Facebook sees where you're making, I think Facebook's like $147 per user in North America. Per year, right? Per year, yeah, which is pretty crazy. crazy. And it's it's booming, like it's still growing. Yeah, it's still growing. And that's the thing. Yeah, Facebook's North American business hasn't grown very fast since they went public. It's grown at maybe 2 or 3% a like year. user-wise. Like users, user-wise, yeah. But revenue's but been- ARPU, it's been just insane. 
because yeah. it has been ramping up because people, and, they built something that advertisers could use and advertisers like, oh, we can get someone to buy our, our towel on Facebook and the Facebook newsfeed. So we're going to pay Facebook all this money to acquire customers that are going to buy these towels that we created. And yeah, and, and well, it works and Facebook makes a ton of money from it. Totally. And, and uh, Gary V has like this amazing uh, sort of like, I'm, I'm like on it like cost per click sort of analysis that he's like, if you comp what face the amount of attention Facebook selling versus TV, which is like an 80 billion advertising market, like we still have a ton of room to go to so monitor room. It. Yeah. And so you even think about how much money Facebook's making and we're still saying, oh, even Facebook's monetization is lagging their attention. Could be high. Snapchat yeah. is like the infant version of that. So, yep. and, and I think the point you were kind of making is like, look, like they basically already have the same people for the same amount of time as Facebook does in North America and Europe, which is where Facebook's making all their money. So, yep. it, you know, and Facebook's making what, 10, 20 billion in earnings on those people. So yeah. if, and, and, uh, and maybe this is where we could get into the exciting part of Snap, which is we're looking at what, a 20, $25 billion market cap company. So Facebook is a 500 billion plus company. And we're talking about how they're copying Snapchat, how their user base in developed markets isn't that much bigger, yet they're valued 20 times more. And this is the yeah. part that excites me about Snapchat is I'm like, wow, if this is talk going where we're talking about, then I think this is a very clear path to several hundred billion dollars in market capitalization. And that's, I'm guessing, what excites you about, you know, not saying it'll go up that much, but just that's the potential for this type of business. And it looks like they're laying the puzzle pieces to get there. Yeah. And I think, I think it's maybe it would be a little bit insane to say that Snapchat should be valued at more than Facebook is. I I don't think that's the case, but like you said, you made that analogy, uh, that comparison, Facebook's valued at 500 billion, Snap's at 20 billion. Uh, you maybe you back out the cash on Snapchat's balance sheet. You consider that they have a bunch of uh, operating loss carry forwards that are worth something for uh, reducing taxes. I think, and th this was more so the case like a couple months ago, back in December, like they were valued. If you backed all those things out, you could buy Snapchat. Like the core business was worth like $5 billion at the deaths. That's pretty insane. And when you think of most of their costs were basically just their server bills that they were paying to Amazon and Google. It made a lot of sense for faith or for someone like, let's say Google to just acquire Snapchat. When Google acquires Snapchat, those expenses that are showing up on Snapchat's income statement are just the costs that Google is expensing in CapEx to like run its full business and run Google cloud, those mostly go away. The numbers are going to look different, but Snapchat's even is probably profitable if Google acquires it. So that's why like back in December, I, I put my entire IRA in snap. It wasn't in December. It was in wow. January, but I put my whole IRA in snap because I was just like, this is just insane how cheap this is with the opportunity set that they have in front of them. And, uh, kind of going back to the potential with getting the monetization up to match Facebook. So if you look at snaps ad prices and you compare them to Facebook, they're anywhere from, I don't know, three to 10 times cheaper. And some of that has to do with maybe a younger audience doesn't have as much money to spend. And so maybe the ad prices, the ceiling on Snapchat's ad prices shouldn't be as high as Facebook. But if you can target the same user and you can, you pay 10 bucks on Facebook and you pay $2 on Snapchat, Maybe the Facebook ads work better. They have better uh, machine learning and better data on the back end to kind of target better and get people to convert better. Snapchat's building all that same stuff. I think it's not unreasonable to think that Snap closes that gap maybe in half. 
So Snap basically doubles its ad prices to get maybe half as cheap as Facebook instead of four times as cheap. So you double ad prices on Snap. And then when you also look at the ad load, so when you look at, so this is kind of getting into more of Discover, like you want to talk with a little bit. On Snapchat Discover, on, on that side of the business, uh, those ad prices are a lot higher than the ads that they show in stories. Uh, mm. And I don't really, they don't really talk about the, uh, they, they don't report these numbers at all, but you can just kind of see it when you look at reporting, you look at uh, kind of you go in and try to buy ads. And you, I, I'm in a lot of different advertiser groups where people are talking about things. Kind of the general consensus is that stories ads are a lot cheaper than on the Discover side. So if you look at Discover, you look at, the opportunity to match the ad load in Discover with traditional TV. You match it with something like the Facebook newsfeed. So in, if you look at traditional TV, if you take the total time someone spent, like an hour someone spends watching TV, and then look at the number of ads, the minutes that are spent watching an ad during that window of, of TV, the average time on traditional TV is anywhere from, you say like 15 to 25% ad load on traditional TV. And it really depends on the channel that you're watching. Uh, if you look at the numbers on Snap Discover, it's closer to like nine to 12%, just the total time you spent watching a Snapchat yeah. show and the time you get spent watching an ad. So if you match the time spent watching an ad on Snapchat with traditional TV, you could essentially double it. So let's say you double ad prices on Snap, you double the ad load, that's a four times increase in revenue. You don't change any user behavior at all. People still use Snapchat exactly the same. Um, they're still watching content. It doesn't increase at all. They don't add any new features that increase the number of impressions you can show, which they're doing. Uh, you basically get a four times increase in revenue and your costs stay relatively the same. I mean, there's probably you're paying commissions to some salespeople. On the infrastructure side, you're paying a little bit for like hosting to like to add an extra five seconds in ad of ad or 10 seconds of ad into that three minute show, but it's very small in the grand scheme of things. That's a pretty huge chunk of revenue that just falls entirely to the bottom line. And it's not really being captured right now. I don't think in what anybody's talking about, nobody really talks about kind of the pricing of snaps ads or the ad load. Everybody talks about users, which is big for impressions, you know, the number of ads that you show. Uh, but nobody's talking about the ad load mix. Uh, I think there's a huge potential there. Every single earnings call since Snap has gone public, they've said that they have a ton of room to increase impressions and to increase the ad load. And they keep doing it too. If you look at the numbers that they've reported, I'm going to actually pull up because I have this in a spreadsheet because the number is insane. And I want to give you the right number. So Definitely. if you look at Snap's ad prices since they went public, since Snap went public, the average price of a Snapchat ad has decreased by 85%. The average, the number of impressions that has, that Snap has shown has increased by 1,469%. Um, at the same time, Facebook has increased wow. their prices by 288% on average. And the number of impressions they've shown has increased by 230%. And that's Facebook uh, proper that's on Instagram, like the feed, the stories, all that stuff. So, and these are just numbers that they're reporting in the conference calls. I'm basically just compounding those numbers over time. So snap has, when they first went public, their prices were a lot closer to Facebook, but what they did was they had so much available space to put ads. They've just put more ads in the app and it's effectively like a supply and demand equation where the supply goes way up. The demand is still not very high yet. So you have this, 
basically advertisers are not more advertisers pouring in to fill that space and just the pricing gets really low. Uh, and that's one of the big things for Snapchat on the, the user side. As more users come in, there'll be this perception of, uh, you know, oh, there's so much. It's basically what happened to Facebook, where Facebook can tell these numbers like, oh, we have all these users. Advertisers should be here. Advertisers come in, they buy ads, the pricing goes up. Facebook can show more ads in Instagram, you know, increase the number of impressions. So I guess my, my point is that Snapchat just has continued to basically show that they can uh, kind of move the line, move the bottom line here without really, I don't know, I don't know where I'm going with this right now. Yeah, no, cut, I, I know where you're going with this. this. I kind of started trailing off a little bit. No, no, no. I, I, I'm, I'm so with you. And I know exactly where you're going with this, which is well, I, I kind of a chart. I want to bring up some hyper charts we're going to throw up. The gross yep. margin of Snapchat. This is like the most important metric that just is like my bread and butter finance guy. I've been watching oh, yep. for Snap. I'm like, okay, if this is an ad business, if this is going to be the social network, they're IPOing with like 0% gross margins. Like they're not even making money serving ads. We need to see yep. dramatic sequential ramps in the gross margin for this business yep. for me to get the future of where this is going. And we've, Which seen we've been that. seeing even without yep. the user growth, we were seeing that now the user's growth kicking in. We're seeing up from that 0% gross margin to like 45% gap gross margin this quarter. That should, yep. you know, so to me, it's like the writing's on the wall. This is going to get 50 plus. This is going to get 60 plus just for the exact reason you're saying. They built in all the infrastructure. They just increased the prices of those ads, the amount of ads, the incremental costs are very low. All this incremental cash flow is going to start dropping to the bottom line or more and more so. And so this is kind of a big reason why, like, I think, you know, PE ratio, price sales ratio, disruptive companies in general, like, I don't want to get too off snap, but I think are very hard for investors like this is not warren buffett's stock market like these are rapidly growing companies no, that whose business models are going to look totally different in five years and so you have to be thinking about how that all changes so yeah even though snaps at 15 times price sales right now only growing at 48 percent with super low gross margins you're like that's whack of course i don't want to buy that but when you assume gross margins all of a sudden go up to 80 percent, it starts dropping the bottom line then instead of going from 200 we go to 300 million users and that effect gets compounded like you can start the numbers start to add up really quickly. Um, but kind of building into that, you know, where Snap goes from here, one thing that I tweeted at Ben Bash actually, I feel like we're giving him a couple shout outs, but he said something about how Snap shouldn't make money on ads or like yeah. um, he doesn't want them to make money on ads, which I think is, I like this concept of getting away from the way Facebook makes money. But, you know, how does, is that what I'm betting on with Snapchat? Is this the $300 billion company that's making, you know, 20 billion a year in advertising profits? Or is there a different way to think about this end game? Like yeah, Snapkit, AR kit, spectacles. I don't know. I'm just kind of throwing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So in terms of the advertising business, I think the advertising is effective for a lot of companies of, of finding customers and, and, scaling their own businesses like i think advertising is really important i just think you definitely you have to be careful with the way that advertising is put onto your user base so one of the things that we could maybe talk about is amazon so amazon's launching their advertising business and kind of the way people think of it is it's basically you go on amazon you're using amazon exactly the same way as you've always been but instead of just seeing actual search results like let's say you search and um, you're trying to buy uh like a t-shirt or maybe like a phone charger, a phone case, instead of seeing those results, there's a bunch of sponsored results that people are paying for that are sticking in there. So it can kind of, it, it can kind of be frustrating because 
those sponsored posts get past any sort of uh, like product quality. Like uh, obviously you're thinking that Amazon is going to only let people who have good products advertise. Yeah. Uh, but it's really hard to truly enforce that. Uh, and I think there's been a lot of, uh, there's been a lot of press about, you know, the quality of the, the marketplace kind of getting diluted a little bit on Amazon because of advertising. Uh, and it makes it, you kind of, you lose consumer trust, which I think is really important. And a very, it's the NPV of, of consumer trust is impossible to, to value, but it's extremely important. I love uh, that. And because and, and isn't that Bezos's biggest thing is put the customer first. So that's where, to me, the advertising thing, just like all the other yeah. stuff Amazon's doing, I'm like, I get it. You guys want to take over the world. Makes sense. But yeah. this, I'm like, do we really need an extra billion and piss off all of our users? This, I but maybe I, I feel like I'm just reading that wrong. So I don't think it's an extra billion. I think that it's, it's a like lot more than billion. that. Yeah. So when you think of, so when you think of Amazon advertising, I know we're getting away from snap, but it, it, Amazon advertising, it's basically, you're using the site exactly the same. Amazon is doing exactly the same thing. All the costs to serve you and sell you those items are exactly the same, except someone is paying them a bunch of money to just stick an extra line in there that sends you to one of their sponsored posts. So it's just free money for Amazon. I mean, the margins on Amazon's advertising business are insane. It's, it's just like Facebook's business. If you look at Facebook's gross margins, they're like 86% or something. Uh, Amazon's margins on its advertising business are probably the same. So if you're Amazon and you want to increase your cash flow to invest in other things or just show profitability, show cash flow growth, you do advertising because it's really easy and it's just a ton of money. If you look at Amazon's free cash flow over the last, I don't know, it's like two years, it basically tracks with the advertising business ramping up and just all of it falling to the bottom line. Uh, it's pretty insane. Wow. Uh, and so that's the attractiveness of, of a digital advertising business at scale because there's no marginal cost of showing another ad. I think that like the Facebook business model is probably one of the greatest business models of all time because let's say that, you know, you are, you're somebody, you know, you or me, we're just scrolling our Facebook feed. We're, we're looking at the next post, you know, we we're already going to be scrolling through, looking at our feed anyways. We're looking at what our friends are saying, but Facebook can stick an ad in there and make money. And it just kind of builds into the cost structure of serving the Facebook product. And there's no extra cost really other than in paying developers to like get it up and running. So the once cost you is your cover erosion the of cost, NPV of consumer trust, if it, you exactly. extend. So yep. that's so something you're quarter, saying this is the best in, business model of all time, but I'm like, isn't this the business model of all time that is like ruining our society? Because you know what I mean? Cause we're just paying yeah, for attention and clickbait that. and people are, there's a bidding war for our attention going on on the back end of Facebook and who the hell knows who's buying it. And you know what I mean? Is that, is that yeah, a good definitely. business model? It's a good business model profit wise, but I'm worried that actually profit wise, it may not be a good business model because in the long run, Amazon customers are going to be like, screw this. It's not what I thought it was. Screw Facebook. Yep. It's not what I thought it was. So I think that comes down to the way that most investors think about investing. Most people, everybody says, you know, it's the NPV of future cash flows. It's the terminal value of the business, but really the average Wall Street investor is looking one, two, three, maybe five years out. And just that's the steady state. They're valuing it on that. They're not really thinking about what happens in 10 years when people just hate using Amazon because they've just seen this torrential uh, 
stream of things related to the way they treat their employees or the way that uh, they're, they've treated consumer trust in the marketplace. Like, I mean, that erodes over time. It, it's kind of the way that a social network collapses where, you know, you kind of, you're going up and, you know, you kind of peak and then it just crashes because people, everyone just leaves and the network effects go away. I don't know if something like that would necessarily happen to Amazon or, or to Facebook necessarily, but you definitely reach that point with consumer trust where, um, you know, once you lose the floor, it's, it's gone and you're just, you're kind of in free fall. I think we've seen that with, uh, like if you look at uh, brand studies that show Facebook's brand with consumers and kind of those, you know, they'll show like the favorite brands like Apple, Amazon, whatever. Some of those companies can just go in free fall over time, like Walmart. Walmart was actually a very highly loved company for a long time. And once people started realizing that, uh, and, and this was kind of the perception was that Walmart was destroying small towns in Main Street America, people just hated Walmart. Uh, but that wasn't always the case. Walmart was a well-loved business for a while. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's kind of the example. Walmart's maybe an example of how that can kind of flip on you. And Walmart still does great. I think the stock price didn't necessarily collapse, but it's definitely, if you look at Walmart as of the last 10 or 20 years, the stocks performed a lot differently than it did 30 to 40 years ago. Like when it went public and it was, it was kind of like a, like a Facebook or like a Domino's where it just consistently ramps up over time. You know, you've got the compounding effect. Uh, so it, it yeah, it, it's really hard to quantify those things, I think, in a spreadsheet and in a financial model. But so um, it doesn't concern you that Snap is pushing to be an advertising company first. You're saying they could make that work. They just got to be responsible about it. Yeah, I think that's, it's true. I mean, I think you need advertising. Advertising is how businesses grow. Uh, there's, there's ways to do things without advertising, but I think advertising is an important piece. So if you, I mean, you think of like the newspaper, reading a magazine, there's advertisements in there. Um, there's a- advertising everywhere. It's not necessarily a new thing. It's just digital advertising is, it's almost like a drug because the margins are so high and it's, it's very easy to make a ton of money on it when you reach scale, which we've seen with Facebook, we're seeing on Amazon's ad business. So I think it's something that people just have to be cognizant about uh, when they're in that position to push that advertising onto users and onto consumers. Uh, and I think you could also think of Am- uh, of Snapchat's advertising network and all the uh, capabilities that they're creating there. You could think of how that relates to their augmented reality ecosystem or operating system that they're inevitably building. Uh, I mean, I really think of, you kind of, we talked about a little bit before spectacles and what those are. I mean, they're basically, it's a camera that's on your face. Snapchat's basically a camera-based operating system all the AR that's in there. Uh, and those capabilities of being able to do things, taking people's data and, and serving them things and showing things on their screen based on a user profile of, of what the company or what the system knows about you is gonna be important, especially when you don't have a screen necessarily and it's more of, you know, you're getting, you're being served things by the platform. It's really like face, like the reason Facebook's ad network is so profitable is because to create the Facebook newsfeed, it's an algorithm that targets you based on what you like, and it knows what you like. And that's how it can serve you ads too. So So you mentioned this whole notion of like advertising and, and spectacles. And what made me think what's different about Snap is their push with spectacles to actually let people create content. 
and opening the camera, the camera is an operating system. There is much about the creation of content than the consumption of content. And I think this is a really big idea. Like, you know, Instagram's not putting out a hardware product to let you create content. It's just a, you know, they rely on Apple's camera hardware product to get content. It's just like an editing sharing content piece. And so that to me is the exciting part of Snapchat is I'm thinking like, where does this go? How does this evolve? I think that what they really need to do, and this is maybe because I'm personally in the boat is like, let creators monetize. That to me is what I think yep. YouTube has done, which is really build a big business. Um, and that's why like Logan Paul on his podcast, as much as, you know, he's, everyone hates Logan Paul, but he's like the yeah. it influencer creator person. He's like, look, like YouTube's my favorite platform because they pay me. That's where I'm going to make money stuff. There. It's so simple. Yeah. And in, I'm, I keep thinking Instagram and Facebook are just dropping a huge ball by not paying creators a cut of the money. And I think Snapchat's going to do this. And I think they're in a much better position to do this because they're not only the consumption platform, but they're the creation platform as well. The better spectacles get, the easier it gets to create content with them. You know, it kind of feeds in this whole loop. And so to me, the advertising is like, a necessary evil for Snap to get into in some ways to really let their create the creativity of their platform flourish, um, because I can't create exclusive content on Snapchat all day every day if nobody's paying me anything, you know. So yeah, that's true. Uh, so I don't know. Do you have any? Con do you think Snap will will? Because I think they've hinted that this is something they really want to push into. Maybe they've already started doing it, but yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that Discover kind of plays into that a little bit. So. When they first made Discover, when they announced it, it was, you know, 2015. It was a couple premium brands that were on there, like ESPN, uh, Vogue, I think was one of them, uh, Yahoo, basically just these like big media brands. And what they did was they got the advertising system up and running to the point where they were the ad pricing with like the equilibrium of pricing and impressions were high enough where Snap could make money and they could also share some with the brands and with the, uh, creators uh, and I think they're still working on getting this equilibrium right but I think they've got it to a point where you can take you could probably take hyperchange TV you could get your own show and discover snap would be able to guarantee they'd have enough demand on that side of the app where people are going and watching discover because there's other good things that are bringing them in like the Kardashian show the uh, like all the different news shows that they have like ESPN has something in there NBC News gets like 30 million viewers per month all these different things that are bringing people in there. So they could also then do an, a hyperchange channel uh, and kind of tying into the advertising aspect. They, when they're targeting you with ads, they know maybe I'm a kind of a nerd. I really like futuristic stuff. Uh, I like business stuff. Hyperchange, that's what hyperchange is. So they're going to show me hyperchange content and they have the ad pricing high enough where Snap will be able to make money and they'll be able to share some with you as the, as the content creator. Maybe it's not necessarily like a somebody who's just a one-off like me posting and making money from my stories. But I think when, when they think of kind of the premium side of things, it will be more of the smaller, not quite a media brand yet, but maybe like a graduating from being a YouTube channel into more of a media type company where you have other lines of revenue coming in. So you'll be able to make some some ad money from snap from YouTube, from Snapchat discover, uh, from Instagram, probably we'll do IGTV. Who knows what ends up happening with that? But you'll also be able to do like shoppable commerce. You'll be able to sell hyperchange swag or tickets to like your live. You'll do a live podcast with. Um, you'll do one with Elon Musk, and you'll have him on the show, and like people could be able to come and watch. You know, that's 
that's you should do that be a real thing uh but <laughs> yeah so you'll be able to not just do ads but also selling commerce like swag selling tickets selling products um you've kind of seen that with barstool sports does that in snapchat discover they sell a lot of there'll be like a funny meme that goes viral and they'll sell a t-shirt related to it mm-hmm. uh so yeah i think that that was just kind of they were all kind of building to that to be able so, to support yeah. that ecosystem now where we've seen over the last year there's been a long tail of just random like premium content that's being put on snapchat discover that couldn't have existed and you couldn't have made money before but now that they have this critical mass of people watching discover which they've disclosed over the past couple past couple quarters every quarter they put out new numbers like the number total number of people watching is up 60 percent, or the time spent on discover is up three times over a year um so they've kind of gotten that critical mass where they have enough advertising impressions and they have high enough pricing where on the premium content where people like like you could actually create a show and make some money on it and maybe it's not you're not going to make millions of dollars per episode but it's enough to support you uh and as that continues to grow as snapchat gets more users maybe instead of just showing the people that are in the u.s once snapchat's business in india and indonesia gets up and running they can show it potentially people there margins aren't quite as high revenue maybe not be as high but it's just incremental revenue that goes to that that goes to you as a creator uh so and and to that point kind of talking about all these different growth loops that snapchat has if you're if you have a show on snapchat discover and you're making money you're gonna tell people to go watch it just oh, like with logan paul. everybody to follow me on snapchat of yeah, course and, yeah and and logan paul he knows he makes money on youtube so he attracts attention and sucks it into his youtube channel and gets people to watch it because that's how he makes money so yeah, he's helping out YouTube. you can make yeah and he's, he's right the incentives yeah, he, are aligned that's why i'm like it's so beautiful like a lot like i want to make you money snapchat you you know what i mean like you're I, making me money i'm gonna help you make yeah money. that's yeah. it's it's simple but it's it's beautiful um, yeah so i think we're seeing snapchat now has gotten enough critical mass inside of discover to 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 make it profitable for independent media companies that are maybe a couple people aside from like the espns espn they can just they can eat the loss for a little bit uh but i think now they've gotten to a point where the shows that they're launching on discover are actually profitable for all parties so we're going to wow. see them scaled up uh, and it won't quite be netflix for mobile uh but because it's not a subscription product they're still advertising uh but it will be kind of a netflix type tv type experience where you're watching you have thousands of different premium shows you could watch there between three to five minutes they're built for mobile they're bite-sized uh they're targeted based on your interests you know anywhere from if you you know if you love knitting there's a bunch of knitting shows if you love cooking there's stuff on cooking if you love business there's hyper change you can watch like the business insider all that kind of stuff so i think there's a lot of different directions they can go with it Uh, Mm -hmm. and the advertising network allows them to support the creators but also lets them target the right shows at the right people it kind of lends to both things on the content targeting but also on the advertising targeting as well love it and switching gears really because i feel like we're this has gone on so long and so interesting but i want to get to a bunch of other stuff so bitmojis okay you got to do like rapid fire like what the hell is a bitmoji because I made it and it's like a cartoon version of me that's like popping up in games and like, yep. I, this is one of the things where I'm like, Wall Street has no idea what is going on here, but then isn't Bitmoji like one of the top apps? Like, I don't know. I'm over my head on Bitmoji, but I feel like this is some really important piece of what Snap's doing. Yeah. So Bitmoji, I kind of think of it as 
you know how when you log into a new app or a new website and you can connect your Facebook account, you can, you can log in with Facebook or you can log in with your Google account. Bitmoji is a similar thing for mobile and for specifically for anything that has a digital identity related to it. So mm -hmm. your Bitmoji is kind of like your Facebook profile. Uh, instead of pictures of you, there's, it's your digital self. And that's kind of the benefits for Bitmoji for, uh, for Snap is, I mean, it gives, it gives some kind of like a, a visual representation of like who the user is. And like, that's kind of their, the way that they interact with the app on the Snap map or uh, in like the stickers, they can like insert themselves into their Snap as a digital person versus like a picture of you or a very extremely lifelike digital version of you would be kind of weird. But like this cartoony, you know, it's, it looks like you, but it's not quite you. Your Bitmoji is kind of like your version of you in the digital world. Um, yep, exactly. But uh, it seems, yeah, and, and the way they're tying it to a unique identity thing seems like they're building up uh, integrations with Bitmojis into other apps, sort of, as this weird kind of backend authentication yep. platform, which... You know, I don't, it's hard for me to figure out how this really helps the platform in the long run, but I feel like there's all these kind of like puzzle pieces that are laying secretly, planting these little seeds. And Bitmoji seems like a very important one. Yeah. So I, I think of it as Bitmoji, but I also think of Snapkit. So Snapkit is kind of the evolution of taking Bitmoji and putting it into other apps. So yeah. Snapkit has a, a couple different pieces to it. There's obviously the Bitmoji, like you log in with your Bitmoji. If you, if you log in like the YOLO app that exploded over the app store uh, over the last couple quarters, one of the reasons it worked so well was because they use Snapkit. When somebody downloaded the YOLO app, they didn't have to type in their name, you know, their birthday, upload a picture. They, they didn't have to like be looking good at that moment and like take a, a picture of themselves that was presentable to use as a, as a profile picture. They just had their Bitmoji ready to go. So it's, it's just like when you do log in with Facebook on any other service, you just instantly are logged in and ready to go with one click. Bitmoji and Snapkit is kind of the same thing. The, the benefits for users, it, it speeds in the login process and gets you up and running. And it also makes it really easy to share whatever is being done on that app with your social graph on Snapchat. So you kind of think of the typical average teenager, maybe 16 years old uh, on YOLO, what they did and these anonymous it's basically YOLO is an anonymous question app you can basically say hey what do you think of this and people can answer the question anonymously uh, and so those have always been popular with teenagers but what YOLO did was it used Snapkit to integrate into Snap Story so I can post something to my story that all my friends see ask me a question uh, and then they'll download the YOLO app and y YOLO had just insane growth because they tapped in the Snapchat social graph that's what Snapkit wow. allows developers to do. So a developer will, you know, there's, there's a lot of different ideas that you can explore. A lot of the ones that have been done so far are related to these like anonymous question apps, um, different things like group chat apps. You've seen like avatar first group chats where you use your Bitmoji to chat with people anonymously and get paired up in these different, uh, different chats. There's, I think we're just in the very early days of exploring everything that can be done. Uh, but additionally, it, it lets, it will let developers tap into Snap's advertising network that's been up and running. So let's say you and me want to start an app. It would be impossible for us to create an advertising network like from scratch. We'd have to hire tons of people. We'd have to get so much scale. We'd have to get hundreds of millions of users. We could just use Snapchat's existing network, kind of like the Facebook audience network, if you're familiar with that. 
or Google, like Google, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Double click, like you know, where you, if you have a blog, you can just show Google ads yeah. on your well, blog. I'm, I'm just thinking revenue. YouTube. I just click monetize and I too. tap into their ad network and I don't have to do a yep. single thing, you know, it, and it's leveraging all of that. And it's, that seems sort of, you know. Yeah. So it's, it's going to be huge for developers. I think not just in mobile, but also in AR. I mean, you're going to, let's say you want to create some type of experience or app in augmented reality. If like, if, if all the people that you're targeting that you want to be users already have some type of persona that they can port over and, and be and use that as a skin in your app, whether it's in virtual reality or augmented reality, that makes it so much easier to get your ecosystem up and running. Um, if you can make wow. money using snaps advertising network, uh, obviously you're going to have to share some of it with snap. Uh, but it's, it's kind of like money from, from day one. Like, let's say you're, maybe you don't have to take as much money from investors because you already have the revenue uh, up, and, up and running easily from Snap. Uh, we've seen, you know, there's there's tons of different ways you can go with this. Uh, Snapchat, also you can lend on their social graph, like I said, to grow a lot quicker. Um, you can have higher retention because you can build in loops in your product where people are posting to their Snapchat story and, and getting people to jump in back into the experience that whatever you have going in your app. So, and I think that that's just the early days of, what we've seen snap kind of build out i think there's a lot of possibilities i know they're testing a lot of different things with it so it's kind of exciting i mean we'll see which way they go yeah all right so we got to get to these crazy moonshots so what snapchat to me evan spiegel i think is a huge like visionary very underrated super young dude i think you know facebook's copying him as fast as they can this guy is pioneered a lot of social network innovation in a lot of ways and i think he like betting on him which i think I don't know. I think he's, he's special and that doesn't get enough love. And I think what he's doing with the spectacles is really interesting because it's like, okay, these visionaries, Steve Jobs, you talk about him. What, I think Evan Spiegel's actually competing with Apple head on and that the spectacles are the, the, you know, this is the camera. This is the computing platform that we use to interact with the digital world, just like our phone could be. And so in many ways, yeah. Snapchat is like trying to get ahead of Apple who's been rumored to launch, be working on a ton of different glasses for years as the next iteration. So there's almost this collision course I see of like Apple, Snapchat doubling down as a camera company. Um, you know, do you have any thoughts yeah. on that? I know there's the Snapple theory of them combining. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's an interesting theory of Apple just acquiring Snap. It basically gives Apple a social graph. You know, you can maybe say iMessage is potentially a, a social graph, but not really. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think Apple acquiring Snap is something that Apple would want to do, but I don't think Snap wants to do it. You know, you've seen all these rumors of like Google offering to acquire Snap for $30 billion. It's kind of been an ongoing rumor. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense too, because nobody else has this critical mass of users that are using the camera. That's kind of Snap's, I think that's their secret sauce. Kind of going back, all the things we talked about, all the different business opportunities that are in camera usage, Snap is in the lead there because they have people that are using it every day. There's, I think it's like 70, 70% of Snapchat DAUs create something in the camera every day. So that's, uh, you know, 140 million people that are interacting with Snapchat's camera operating system every day. Uh, and you don't see any numbers like that from any other company. Nobody reports what their metrics are because they're nowhere close to what Snap has. Damn. Uh, and I think that they have a years, 140 million creators. Creators, yeah. And it's a lot of, and a lot of it is it's not professional creators. It's just two friends communicating and, you know, they're, it helps them 
express their feelings. Like maybe they're sick and they do a, an, an AR lens of like a, like an, an ugly ogre or something. And it's like, oh, this is how I feel today. And like their friends laugh and like, it's like a picture says a thousand words. It's like an AR lens says a thousand words. It helps people express themselves better. Uh, and it's something that you can't really do with a text box and you can't necessarily do with just with a picture, just with a, a dumb camera. I mean, cameras are really software now. That's really what, what Snapchat's camera is. It's, it's software. It adds a software layer to the camera and it really turns it into an operating system like we've kind of talked about a little bit. Uh, I think that's really the long-term potential. Uh, the, the Snapchat app is exciting. And, you know, if you want to try to value it, it's probably worth anywhere between 30 and $100 billion. But I think really the real value is owning the camera-based operating system. So uh, what, what does that look like? Is that Spectacles 10? Or is, you know, Snap yeah. launched this micro drone that you throw up and that follows you around and takes selfies. They haven't done anything with that, but I was like, <laughs> is that where we're all headed? Like, Yeah, I don't... I don't want to be the person that makes all these crazy predictions of what Snap will do, but I think that's the idea with Spectacles. It's it's tests. They're just seeing what works. Uh, the technology isn't there yet. They're trying to miniaturize everything that it's possible to do. Everything's too big still to fit in glasses. And I think one of the key things with a owning kind of the AR operating system, I mean, the hardware piece is going to be a lot more about fashion than it is with the tech. So it's something that you wear on your face every day you're not going to wear Google Glass or Magic Leap on your face every day just because because it's, it's like a t-shirt like it's on you all the time it's kind of taking self-expression and putting it into uh into hardware so it's kind of like uh computerized fashion wow so you know you the glasses that you wear you're they're going to express you in some way uh and and you can kind of think of that like the Apple headphones like we talked about with the the white thing that comes down, it shows certain status. AirPods show a certain status. The glasses that you wear show a status too. I mean, the glasses that you chose to wear today, you chose them for a certain reason. Same with mine. I wear the same glasses every day. But for me, I pick these glasses because I like the way they look on my face. Uh, I think they make they show the best version of me. That's what the the AR augmented reality glasses, the smart glasses, it'll be the same way. The reason the Google Glass didn't take off was because you didn't look good in them. Uh, and a lot, I think a lot of people overlook that. So the fashion piece is going to be extremely critical. And that's why I think probably Apple or Snap are going to be the ones that win AR because they really understand the fashion aspect. Uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't bet that Google or Facebook figures it out unless they acquire Snap. <laughs> yeah. It's probably the best opportunity there. And I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of like in five years when you see somebody with the glasses that'll look kind of the same, but you'll know they're different. And what that brand perception will be like, oh, it'll be like he's see or she's seeing a different world than I'm seeing. They're like yeah. they paid a bunch of money and they're un they've unlocked this new layer on the world that I'm blind and I can't see. And there'll be this like AirPods, like I'm dope. I got the AirPods and the wire. You know, that's a joke compared to the like, oh, you're in the world, you're seeing the world, I'm seeing this world because you have these on. You know, it's uh Yeah, and it's I, th I think that the Snapchat social graph is really important there because a lot of the early adopters of smart classes are not going to be the grandmas that are using Facebook. And those are all the Facebook users. Those are all the old folks. Those are not going to be the people that are early adopters of smart classes. It will be all the teenagers and the 21 year olds that are on Snapchat. They have a social graph that's baked in there. So if you can go, if you can walk past a movie theater 
and you can see that some of your friends are inside. If your glasses tell you that they're inside, maybe you'll go inside and hang out with your friends. Those are the kind of things I think we'll really see from Snapchat. They kind of, kind of taking the gamification that they did to social and to friendship and bringing it into augmented reality and bringing it into the world. It's not going to be, it's not going to be like a minority report where there's these crazy overlays where, you know, you look at something and there's like an ad that gets served on your eye. Like that's probably not going to happen. It's going to be more of like a game. Like you play a game with your friends with your glasses or, you know, you're hanging out with some people and you're, you're, everybody's seeing a shared experience in AR all through their own glasses, like sitting around on the beach and you're watching a TV show or a piece of content play out in AR in front of you, or you're playing 3D chess on the beach, that kind of thing. It's, it's really going to be, and, and that's why I think, uh, things like snap games is really important because it kind of already, we haven't talked about that yet, but that kind of takes these shared in person in the moment gaming experiences that people are currently doing in the snap games feature and builds it up and gets it ready to go into augmented reality into glasses because that's, that's how I think you're going to create a need, create a need. Uh, AirPods just died on me. So you do need okay. two pairs of AirPods. Yeah, I do need two pairs of AirPods. So yeah, I think really what we're going to see is nobody is going to just say, oh, I want augmented reality glasses. And they're not going to go and just buy the glasses because they look cool. They're going to need a reason to do it. And I think things like playing games in AR is a early use case for them. Being able to see like where your friends are, just being able to like look and, and like find your friends. It's kind of like the snap map in real life. Um, just like having yeah. like to tell you where your friends are or like being able to write like a secret message on the wall that only people that you're friends with on Snapchat can see like that kind of stuff is the stuff that they're going to do. It's, it's so cool. Yeah. And, and those are the things we'll see in like five to 10 years. Like they're not going to be here yet. Really like when everybody talks like all the AR, the crazy AR that everybody knows is coming, that's like 20, 30 years away. Like that's not going to happen anytime soon. We're like, you're like doing Microsoft Excel or like email and AR in front of you. That's still a really long ways away. Totally. Um, Snapchat probably isn't going to do that. They're going to do the social component, like gaming and like communicating with your friends, the kind of things that that's their core competency as a company is, is friendship and, and self-expression and, and play, which is a lot different from really all the other big players that are competing. Um, so. Yeah. And it's almost, it's a future that I'm inspired to live in. Like it's, you know, I'm a big on that, like invest in the future you believe in. Like Snapchat's the only social company I would invest in. And I'm actually like this close to buying stock. I have no free money right now, but if I would buy stock in a company, it would be Snap because like, I'm just sold. I think this is a 10 bagger. I mean, obviously not financial advice, but I just think like if this works and they keep up the momentum, like the financials will take care of themselves a little bit. I don't know. Um, one last the, thing actually. Yeah, um, go for it super last thing that you, you brought up to me is like, okay, these are all amazing examples of AR when it comes to me. Like it's stuff that I can see that I couldn't see before. That's one level that's exciting. But to me, the most exciting le level is as a creator, being able to show everyone else what I'm seeing, what seeing without the ultimate friction of holding a phone or holding a camera. Like that yeah. changes the whole experience. If I can just go like this and I can bring my entire audience to me in this moment with sound, with vision, like that is a game changing, that's the ultimate, that's the last friction I have as a creator is holding this phone, holding this camera. And if they remove that friction, I'm immediately buying, you know what I mean? So as a creator, this gets me so, so excited because I feel like that's the ultimate puzzle piece to kind of like, let me run. Um, anyway, thank you so much for doing this podcast. 
Turner. This yeah, was, was epic. Awesome. I feel like we could have talked for like 10 more hours. Like I, we didn't even cover any of the stuff we should have covered. So, but this was so, so interesting. So like, thank you so yes. much for coming on. And um, if you have any shout outs or like where to follow you on Twitter, uh, let the hyper changers know. Yeah, I guess just follow me on Twitter. I tweet a lot. It's just at Turner Novak. I'm sure uh, there'll be an overlay on the screen, something in the description below the video, all that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, huge shout out to you too. I mean, I love your content, love your channel. I've been following you for years. Uh, I think, like I mentioned, it was really, it was your moonshot Mondays. I loved that stuff. And some of them have been proven right, which is awesome. It's awesome to see you just nailing all this stuff. Uh, you're crushing it. I mean, from a business standpoint, I can tell just like the, the cool content that you're creating is like what people need and what people want. Uh, and it's awesome. I love it. And I'm rooting for you forever. Huge fan. Dude, thank you so much, Turner. Really appreciate it. I'll have you on again soon, all right? All right. Peace out. Peace, hyperchangers.